All right. Well, welcome back to the Sober Heathen Podcast. I am the Sober Heathen, Scott. And I am a grateful alcoholic today. Uh, so I've been putting this off, uh, not because I'm afraid or anything like that. Um, I don't really know why. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to make this channel, uh, obviously, about recovery. Um, the first three guests that told their story, um, you know, I did that uh, to get other people involved. Um, and so it didn't feel like it was all about me. Um, but this is my podcast. So I guess I should be uh, sharing my story. Um, I believe I did it in um, in a short fashion in uh, some of the older podcasts. Um, I don't know if I put those on like Spotify or Apple or anything, yeah, it might be on YouTube, but uh, yeah. Uh, so I figured it was uh, about time to sit down and tell my story and uh, what better time to do that than one thirty in the morning. Um, I spent a lot of time drinking at one thirty in the morning. So I think I can spend some time doing recovery uh, at one thirty in the morning. Um. Yeah, I got some notes, and I'm really terrible at following my notes um, when I talk about my story. Um, you know, uh, what it used to be like, what happened, and where I'm at like now. So I got some notes. I might jump around a little bit. I know the people uh, that have been close to me for uh, the past several years that uh, were in the thick of things. Uh, please feel free to uh, leave comments on YouTube and uh, Facebook. Uh Anything and everything that I've forgotten to mention, uh, this is a 100% honesty thing. There's no holding back. So if I miss something, it's not intentional. That's just because I'm all over the place and I got a lot of crap. So um, so I got an episode that's, uh, that I have written up that I'm going to do. It's, um, it's called Alcoholism. But I believe, and through what I've learned, is that, um, you know, in AA, it teaches you that alcohol is just a symptom. Um, so when I take alcoholism, um, in this kind of like, uh, I don't know, I don't want to call it a lecture because I'm not a counselor yet. Um, but uh, in the podcast that I'm going to do about alcoholism, the ism is already there for those of us who fall into addiction. Okay, and I'm not going to go into great detail because I don't want to read the podcast, but the ism was there. The ism is the other thing. And then you bring the alcohol in and it turns the ism into alcoholism. Um, like the ism for me, uh, you know, I'd sneak snacks, you know, as sneaky as a kid. Um, I was uh, manipulative, even even in the sense of, you know, I was always trying to play all the sides of family members you know i was trying to bring everybody together but i was kind of manipulating them at the same time um and thinking back and kind of really getting to know myself um i, I could see that uh you know hiding snacks uh, sneaking around the house um there were a lot of signs uh, uh, telling little white lies that i didn't even have to i just did it and then I'd have to remember everything, even with like friends in school and girlfriends and stuff and just stupid lies that even then I was like, man, why did I do that? Well, just trying to make myself look cooler or I'm uh, embarrassed to be honest about something. I don't know, but it was there. And through the therapy and counseling, I've, I've kind of discovered these things a little bit and able to explore them. Um, so. One thing that I think that uh, that started creeping in um, at my graduation, uh, I got a full ride to college to play baseball. I took the first offer that I got. It was a school that I had no desire to go to, but I was like, oh, man, look at me. I'm a good baseball player. I got a full ride. I'm going to take it, and everybody's going to be proud of me. But I wasn't, uh, I wasn't mature enough for reasons that I won't get into this podcast, but um, – you know, the way I was raised and the and certain things, um, I wasn't prepared to make that mature decision. And so um, for reasons, again, that I won't go into, I didn't go to college. And what I realize now is with the family disconnect, you know, I was raised by my great-grandparents, great-grandparents. So, I mean, they were old when they got me, and my great-grandmother's still alive. She's 98 years old. Um, 
they did the best that they could. Uh, was it perfect? No, but nobody's parents are perfect. Um, did I miss out on a lot of things because of their age? Yes. Uh, because of the time that they grew up? Yes. Um, did that contribute? Yes. But um, it's not the defining factor. But um, I ended up not going to college. I went to a day and a half of orientation, and I called my mom. Uh, halfway through the second day and I was scared you know fear is a big part of alcoholism I was scared my social skills were crap and I called my mom and said hey you know I I, I don't think I can do this and my mom wanted to be my friend more than my parents she said okay just come home then really and just come back yeah why not and so in that baseball it became such a huge part of my life up until that point, that was my outlet for everything. If I was happy, you know, I could go and play some baseball. If I was sad, I could go and work on something outside at my grandma's house, throwing the ball to myself, throwing it up and hitting it and chasing it. It was my, it was my outlet. And all of a sudden baseball was gone. Um, I started coaching and I loved coaching as much as I, uh, I loved um, playing. Um, but as much as I loved it, it wasn't, it wasn't the, for me that I needed the something for me that I needed. And, um, so time goes on and I turned 21 and, uh, I remember the first night that I drank and, you know, I always said I wasn't going to drink because I should probably mention I'm a fourth generation alcoholic. So my great grandfather was an alcoholic. My mom's dad was an alcoholic. My mom's an alcoholic. And now you got me. Um, I always said I wasn't going to drink because my mom was always in jail. She was never around. She was a crappy parent. And I try not to bash people too much because I don't want people to be like, oh, that's actually what some of my family sounds like. But anyway, um, so I never, never going to drink, never going to do it. Well, living with uh, three roommates, uh, two of them turned 21 a couple weeks before I turned 21. And that was actually when I drank, but I, I call it 21 because it was just a couple weeks off. Um, and I remember I drank Mark, uh, Mark's, Mike's Hard Lemonade. And I remember the first buzz and it changed my life. It, uh, you know, in, in the big book on page 83, they have the promises. And you, if you know anything about AA and you've gone to any meetings of AA, they read the promises in the, uh, most of the time in the beginning of the meeting. And I kind of wanted to share this because this is what happened when I turned 21 and I experienced alcohol for the first time. Okay. So these are the promises. I'm going to read them first as you'd read them in, in, in AA. And then I want to go back and touch on a couple of things. So these are the AA promises and the promises are, these are what's going to happen. I'm just going to read it. Uh, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. So that's what the AA program promises once you get into recovery, it prom these are the promises that are going to come true for you. And I believe that I'm not quite six months in um, to this, to this go of recovery, which God's willing, this will be the last one. Um, but alcohol did these same things. Um, so it says, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, Okay. Um, we will be amazed before we were halfway through. Before I was halfway through a bottle, I was amazed at what alcohol could do for me. You're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. The freedom and happiness that alcohol gave me is what hooked me immediately. I was able to talk to people that I couldn't talk to before, um, whether it be a large group of dudes that normally would intimidate me or beautiful women or women that I thought were beautiful. <laughs> I had a freedom to go and talk to them. I had the, I was 
the fear, the alcohol gave me those promises. Um, will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. I didn't have to think about the past and the mistakes that I'd made. I didn't have to think about giving up baseball. I didn't have to think about not going to college. I didn't have to think about not having a serious job. I didn't have to think about living with my friends um, and, and having no responsibilities. I didn't have to think about those things when I was drinking. Um, comp- we'll comprehend the word serenity and we'll know peace, man. There was nothing more serene than sitting around a bonfire, drinking my ass off, staring at the stars in the middle of the night, every summer night, um, and uh, knowing peace. It was just peaceful. It took everything away. It took the shitty family away. It took the shitty thoughts about myself away. Uh, the insecurities, it was peaceful. Alcohol gave me that. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will um, see how our experience can benefit others. My experience of drinking, pe- making people laugh, um, doing stupid shit, I felt like me drink, drunk me was a benefit to others. I thought that uh, drunk me throwing what little money I had around from the part-time jobs that I was doing uh, I, I could be somebody. I had the nice new car because my grandfather helped me get it. So I was benefiting everybody. Um, we will learn, lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Uh, that's the one thing that alcohol didn't do. It made me very selfish. Um, self-seeking will slip away. You know, the, the disease, once it took a hold, you know, I, I, I didn't feel self-seeking, um, but I definitely was. Um, with alcohol, my whole attitude and outlook upon life changed. This was it. I'm the person I finally always wanted to be. Alcohol gave me that. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. Well, I woke up and I spent all the money that I had for gas. I am completely broke. Well... We still got booze. I'll go drink and I don't have to worry about it. So the economic insecurity was gone. We'll intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle me. Bingo already touched on that. Alcohol solved that problem. You know, walking up into a crowd, you know, that anxiety that I felt when I went to that first day of orientation, sober, and uh, I had to socialize with people that were um in designer clothes, you know, it was a Ritchie College, it was Northward University in, in, in Midland, Michigan. If, if I haven't mentioned that, I don't think I did. Um, but uh, if I could have drank, I probably would have stayed in college, but then I probably wouldn't have made it through. You know what I mean? So anyway, um, so these promises were filled among us sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. The promises the alcohol the promises the alcohol gave me were coming true very quickly. And that's how I got stuck on alcohol. It gave me all those things. So now working through recovery and working AA and doing this podcast, uh, the real life, the authentic promises are starting to come 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 true because even I'm not like I said, I'm not even six months in and People that I've lost and thought I'd never have in my life again, uh, they're coming around. I got a hug today from somebody that uh, I didn't anticipate, and a big, long hug, and it felt good to get a hug uh, from this person because they're, they've always been a supporter of mine, but I've also scared the hell out of them just as much as I scared uh, the people that uh, were even closer to me. Um. It just, it's one of those things that today, you know, the promises were showing that keep doing this shit, you're going to turn out all right. Things are going to be okay, even when it's hard to see in the beginning. So, started drinking uh, 2008, um, got my first OWI, actually rolled my car. Um, my grandmother picked me up uh, to take me to the junkyard to get my stuff out of my car. And there are, there are only a handful of vehicles in this junkyard, and uh, it took several minutes for us to find my car. Um, that's because it was flat. Um, how I got out of there with just a deep bruise on my shoulder and some cuts on my hand, how I got out of there with just that, I have no idea. Um, I don't want to say divine intervention because 
why save me and, and not save somebody else? So I don't like going there. So I got really lucky. Um, swore off drinking immediately. This is 2008. Never, never fucking drinking again. Nope. Nope. I rolled my car. I'm done with this crap. Uh, one wedding later, I was right back to it. I went to the wedding. Nope. I'm not going to drink, but all my friends are there. An ex-girlfriend was there. Um, everybody's drinking and having a good time. Everybody looks good. Yeah, frickin'. And there's a meeting where I, or a meeting. There's a picture. We're all gathered and I'm going like this. And my hand is just gigantic, even in the picture from being swollen. And you can see the cuts and scrapes on it from all the glass cuts. Uh, so drinking after 2008, it, it did slow down a little bit. Um, between that one, the first one and the second one, I got married. I had two awesome kids. Um, when I found out that uh, my now ex-wife was pregnant, I was like, no, this is it. As soon as, as, soon as she gets far enough along where she's going to need my help more and more, I won't drink anymore. Then when the kids get here, I'm definitely not drinking anymore. Well, kids were born. Um, my one son had to go to a different hospital the same day that he was born. So uh, within hours or less than hours, the boys were separated and I was separated from my wife and my other son, I had to go with Easton to go to Saginaw hospital and, um, Max wife and engage were, uh, in Mount Pleasant. And so I had to follow Easton to the hospital and, uh, I got there and, you know, they got tubes up his nose and stuff and he was having a hard time breathing. And, uh, I stayed there until they kicked me out and they told me to go get some rest. And there was a room at the hospital. And I remember, um, remember going in the room, and uh, there was a, it was a real small room, but it, I mean, it was good enough for me. You know, I was there with my son. And uh, I remember I lay down on the bed and I just started crying my eyes out. You know, I was so scared for him to see him in the, you know, with all those tubes and then, you know, sitting there watching him, just his little chest go up and down. It's just, and then I was away from my other son. I was away from my wife. Um, it was, it was terrifying. And uh, drinking never, Never crossed my mind that night, but uh, the second or third night, um, they told me I should go home, you know, get a shower and, and, and sleep sleep in my bed, and then come back and see Easton in the morning. And, um, you know, my wife was still in the hospital. Um, her and Gagey were still in there. And uh, as soon as they told me to go home, I was like, ah, I'm drinking. And I told the nurse I was going to be back first thing in the morning, and uh, I drank, and uh, my alarm went off, and I was like, oh, I feel like shit, I'll sleep a little bit longer, and I fell asleep, and the nurse had to call me <clears throat> to wake, you know, and then she woke me up, and like, is everything okay? Where are you? <laughs> felt so stupid. Waking up after that, I, I felt so stupid, you know, that I went home and I got drunk. Instead of getting up and going to see my son who was in the hospital fighting to breathe. I just, I mean, I just drank through it and that, you know, that, uh, that wasn't enough to, to change my actions. Um, you know, it still slowed down for a little while, but once the boys, you know, um, the boys started getting a little bit bigger, um, you know, the marriage wasn't going great. Uh, she spent most of her time as the boys got a little older outside, um, doing things on her tablet, watching her show, um, smoking cigarettes. And I spent my time inside, um, you know, playing video games and um, get the boys around for bed. And, you know, she'd come in, kiss them goodnight. I'd kiss them goodnight. And I'd put the boys down. She'd come in, she'd go to bed. And I would kiss her goodnight. And then I always had alcohol stashed in the house or out in my truck. I'd have to run outside and grab it. And I don't know how many years, two, three, four years, I drank uh, four half pints every single night after she'd go to bed. And, you know, uh, I couldn't drink and go lay in bed because she would smell it. And then I'd have to lie. And it was just too much to deal with. There'd be a big argument. So what I started to do is the nights that she'd want me to come in the bedroom and sleep, you know, why do you always sleep on the couch? You know, I, I mean, uh, legitimate questions, you know, when you're married, you should go to bed together, at least sometimes. 
And uh, so I would I would come in the bedroom before I would drink and I'd lay there and I would toss and turn on purpose until the point where she's like, all right, I'm going to go to the couch. I can't sleep with you tossing. No, 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 no. You stay in here, stay in the bed. I'll go to the couch. I'd fake being sick. I'd fake coughing. Um, I'd fake snore just to get kicked out on the couch because that's the alcohol was hidden underneath the couch. And this went on for years. And I remember, you know, I was like, man, I'm so sick and tired of feeling like shit every morning. I would get to work and like, I'm never doing this again. And that lasts till about noon. And then I couldn't wait to get, I couldn't wait for the boys to be in, in bed and Stephanie to be in bed so I could start drinking again, um, counting down the hours. And I remember I'd come in and I'd smell like alcohol and uh, I was moving up. See, the thing is, I kept moving up, uh, partly because her dad owned the company and partly because I was better than the other guys. Um, that sounds egotistical, but I'm just being fucking honest. I was, I was working for a painting company and um, it just is what it is. I, uh, me and uh, my good buddy, he was my safety guy and another good friend. Uh, he was my quality guy. And the three of us, I mean, we, I mean, it was, it was a well-oiled machine for what it was. And I remember um, a quality guy came in and shut the door in my office. He's like, dude, I can just smell alcohol, man. You better stay away from the reps and the, the customers and stuff. I'm like, oh, shit. And I remember he called me a functioning alcoholic one day. And that was the first time that I'd heard that, that term used, functioning alcoholic. And what I should have heard was, dude, you're an alcoholic. Um, but I heard, oh, function. Yeah, you're right, man. Look at, look at, we're kicking ass. You know, this thing is running so well. We're making money hand over fist. I am functioning. I am an alcoholic because I drink every night. I drink a fifth every night, but nobody else in my family can do this. I am functioning. And I wore that with a badge of honor. So uh, things at that company started to go south. Um, I had to find um, a job with another company. And it was inside of a chemical plant where it was just a nightmare. I hated doing safety. I, was, I, I went backwards as far as my title goes. Um, instead of being the boss, I was now working for somebody again, doing safety in a chemical plant that is just a nightmare to work in. And uh, so the so the drinking continued um, on the weekends when I could drink uh, with uh, – my wife's family, I would get extra hammered. And uh, so long story short, I, I found a new job and uh, there was an argument on the phone one day um, with my ex-wife and it, it brought me to tears. You know, I, was, I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy with myself. I wasn't happy with the relationship. I wasn't happy with my job. And I broke down after we hung up and I left work and uh, I ended up getting my second OWI that day. And that OWI left, left, or excuse me, led to uh, a divorce. And uh, so here I am, I'm moving back in with my great grandmother, uh, missing time at work, spent 10 days in jail, um, lost my license for a month. And, uh, but now all of a sudden I'm not married and I feel a newfound freedom. <laughs> I can drink whenever I want now, as long as I don't have my kids. Um, so the drinking increased. I started drinking on the job. I started hiding bottles in the chemical plant. It was like a game to me, hide them in different trash cans and bathrooms and um, sneaking the alcohol into the plant in my vehicle. You know, it was like a, it was like a giant game. It just, everything just went crazy. And then I met uh, then I met the woman who agreed to be my fiance. Uh, drinking had turned uh, way down. Uh, probation and breathalyzer had a lot to do with that. Um, I wouldn't drink on nights that I was going over there to see her and spend the night with her or any time with her. I wouldn't drink. I would just if I wanted to drink, I would stay at my grandma's oh, and. Uh, Drink there. Uh, so we get engaged. Um, we're pl you know planning the wedding. Um, I've never been happier with another human being. Um, 
you know, her son and my kids are getting along. Everything is just falling into place. And uh, one night I, I kind of talked her into having a beer with me and she's like, are you sure? And I think she knew that it wasn't a good idea, but, you know, um, cunning, baffling and powerful. Uh, so we, we would drink on the weekends together. Um, I was drinking way more than what anybody knew. And uh, so in uh, 2020, I went to my first treatment. Um, I was getting out of hand. I was passed out. I had lost my job because of alcoholism. Uh, actually, I was passed out on the side of the road and woke up in the hospital for the first time. And I uh, had no idea where my vehicle was and uh, no OWI on that, thank God. Or maybe maybe I should have got one. Um, but uh, I didn't want to go to treatment. I just, I'll just go to meetings. I'll just, I'll, I'll do it here. I'll, I'll see what kind of pills we can take. And um, just excuses that an alcoholic going to do because I had no plans on wanting to quit. So, um my fiance at the time, her son came up and he gave me a big hug with tears in his eyes. and like, you got to go, got to go to treatment. And that's what did it. So I, I went to treatment, um, 30 day program. I was out in 26. Um, you know, I remember the first day that I got to, uh, to that treatment center. Um, there was a dude so messed up, little skinny dude. They had dryers stacked on top of the washing machines and this dude was like trying to climb up and hide in the dryer he was just out of it and i'm looking at all these guys and you know the high guys a lot of guys that end up in treatment are in a really bad place and i'm like man at least i'm not as bad as that guy it's not well i'm not as bad as that guy i'm not trying to climb into a dryer um you know dudes you know pissing on everything and shitting all over the place in the bathroom so it's just it was just it was an eye-opener as far as, as but the problem was i was looking at it as well at least i'm not that bad and you know i was well spoken enough that uh, when i went into you know when we'd had the group sessions you know i didn't ask to leave early my counselor was like well i think i can get you a pass you know uh, uh graduate not graduation but i shit i can't remember what it's called but completion and get you completion at 26 days if you want to go and i remember i called uh, my fiance and i was like yeah she said i'd come home early at a few days she's like uh, are you sure that's a good idea i'm like well she offered it so so uh um things are pretty good after i got back i lost a bunch of weight i shaved my head i was you know, I was wearing a pink bandana. Like, I was, self-confidence was pretty high. Um, and and uh, while I was gone, my fiance's family came over, and they took the entire drop ceiling out of the basement. Um, I don't know how many bottles they found. Um, but I was taking my bottles and sticking them up in the drop ceiling. And so they, I, when I came home, the entire basement had changed dramatically it was like finding easter eggs for them looking for the bottles um so 2020 that was when i went to my first treatment and i got back and when i started drinking again it was uh picked up right where i left off and then some uh 2020 saw me uh i was passed out in a school parking lot I was passed out at a stop sign with my foot on the brake, the vehicle still in drive, quarter mile from the state police post in Freeland, Michigan. Um, I was passed out with a 0.36 blood alcohol content uh, in a turn lane. Um, woke up in the hospital. My vehicle was impounded. Uh, no ticket. License wasn't taken. Um, thought because of COVID that I dodged a bullet and then come to find out the reason why I was in jail uh, a month ago for four to five days, I finally got punished for that uh, 2020 OWI. They were just waiting, I guess. I don't know. Um, so 
after that, you know, my ex fiance, you know, had enough. I mean, she still supported me. I mean, I can't say enough good things about her and that what she what she put up with. Um, and my kids put up with, I mean, and her son, I mean, they, they all tried. And, uh, so we, we went to the doctors, I uh, got on antabuse, so got on the, uh, on naltroxone, which is a Vivitrol shot pill form. But when you gum your pills and spit them out, nothing's going to work. I, uh, I straightened up a little bit and I got a, an even better job. Uh, the best paint job that I ever had. I was safety manager overseeing over 200 employees. But the drinking had full of full control. I was uh, getting to work late. I was leaving work early to drink. And then ultimately how I got fired was I was so exhausted from drinking every night, all day, every day, basically. I would go and park my truck in a parking lot, thinking I was out of sight, out of mind. And I woke up to the... Uh, the owner of the company, one of the owners of the company, beeping his horn, and he has a camera out, and he's recording me. He told me to pack my shit up. Um, I took Anabuse, uh, 250 milligrams, and that is supposed to make you violently ill when you drink on it. Um, I take it for a few days right in front of uh, my fiance, and um, then I would stop when I could, when I could gum it or spit it out or fake take it i would do it and then uh i can come to find out i could drink when i was taking the 250s i could drink and my eyes would become bloodshot my face would become bright red my heart would race like i just ran you know a 100 yard dash um but after about 45 minutes that would settle down and then i could drink normally again and i was somehow okay with that i mean it was terrible i mean my heart would just be pounding and but what i did is i turned the rash and and the and the feelings i turned that into uh you know there's something else going on with me there's something wrong i, I even went to as far as before the relationship was ended uh i was going uh i was getting CAT scans, I was getting blood work done, I was seeing uh, brain doctors, and it was all fake. Um, I would lay in bed and, and, and try to think of ways to, to con my fiancé into thinking that it wasn't drinking, there was something wrong with my head. <sighs> I would lay in bed and I would just randomly scream on purpose and then pretend like I was sleeping and she'd come and check. Uh, it gets worse. Uh, one day I pretended to get up. I was in nothing but boxers and I put my work boots on and I think my hat and, uh, she asked me what I was doing and I ignored her and she asked me what I was doing again. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go to work. Plan the whole thing out in my head. Because I had to protect the fucking drink. And so, again, very skeptical. She knew, but because of, you know, wanting to believe that the good person that was in there, you know, was in charge. I mean, she tried to help. I, I woke up another time. I knew she was super pissed. Um, I don't remember if it was a day that she'd found bottles or not, but I got up and I, the plan was, all right, I'm going to go and I'm going to fall in the hallway as hard as I can. And so I get up and she was in the living room and I, I walk and I just plant myself right into the ground as hard as I can. What's wrong? What's going on? I tripped over a cat, I told her. Never had a cat. I've never owned a cat. She's not, I don't think she's ever owned a cat. There's no cat. It was a fabricated story um, to make her think that something was going on with my brain. And the reason why that I act funny, the reason why that, you know, I'm slurring my words sometimes is because there's something going on. And what a terrible piece of shit to put somebody that, and, and the thing is, I love my boys. And I love her, 
so much that never changed. That the love, the love is real. But you hear this, and you're and you're outside of addiction. How could you do that to somebody that you say that you love with all your heart? I, I did. I do. How could you drink when you have your boys and their mom? They have to call their mom because you're drunk and passed out and they're scared and they call their mom and she shows up with two cop cars to get the boys. How can you do that when you love them? It's a disease, man. The love is true and the love is there. The love is real. It's just that you're not in control. So, um, in uh, in the fall of uh, 2021, uh, actually, I'll say that enough. Kick me out uh, for good. Uh, burnt a lot of bridges. You know, I, I don't blame anybody for being upset with me. So 2021, I got I got the boot for good, and rightfully so. Should have happened probably a long time before that. And I remember when I woke up and all my stuff, well, not all my stuff, but most of my stuff, enough stuff was on the kitchen table for me to know what message was being sent. And the only thing I could think of, you know, that like devastation, like the, the love and the, and the heartbreak was there. But what took over was the mental obsession. And fine. Yeah, I'm the sucks. I'm I don't want to leave. I love everybody, but I'm just gonna pack up as soon as fast as I can. I'm gonna go drink. So as fast as I could load everything up into my truck and get to my grandma's and drink. That's as fast as I did it. I didn't call or text or beg or plead. All I wanted to do was drink so I didn't have to think about what was going on. And that that led to uh, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, as the big book says. As long as I stayed good and fucked up, I didn't have to think about everything that I'd lost. My kids, my fiancé, our home. I didn't have to think about it, not having a job, not paying child support. I didn't have to think about any of those things. So my sponsor at the time, you know, he was doing everything that he could to try to save my life. So finally him and some of the people in our uh, Zoom group talked me in uh, to help me find Harbor Hall. And I went to Harbor Hall in January of uh, 2022 and I stayed for 60 days. And, um, during that time, I learned a lot of things. Um, I have people that I still talk to to this day, did a lot of crying with and for people. Um, when people would leave, you know, there were tears, you know, um, a lot of connection was made there. And uh, turns out that's not the right thing to do, but hopefully I'll come back to that. Uh, so my grandfather picks me up from treatment and we stop and we get lunch on the way home. So I was there for 60 days, completed the program, lots of friends, lots of compliments, feeling really good. Um, we stop and get lunch on the way home. So it's like a two and a half hour drive. So with lunch, we get back, he drops me off at my grandma's, he gives me a big hug, tells me that he's uh, proud of me. And then he shook my hand as he went to leave. And in his hand, he had a $100 bill. And that's all it took. As soon as I had that $100 bill in my hand, as soon as he left, I told my grandma I had to go get some food and stuff. And uh, I remember buying the the pint of vodka and having it sit right here on my desk and just staring at it. It felt like hours. But within five hours, I was fucked up again after leaving treatment. So the next month, the next 30 days, I was, I woke up at the hospital at least four different times. 
Um, all those were from my 98 year old grandmother having to call the, uh, call the paramedics because she couldn't wake me up. Um, I woke up with a catheter and checked myself out against medical advice. Um, got to feel the catheter being ripped out. That was pretty cool. Uh, signed myself out one time and was going to walk home from Midland to Coleman, which is like a 20 minute, half hour drive in a car. Um, and again, this was March. So, I mean, it wasn't exactly warm out. Uh, one of the scariest ones was I woke up with a tube down my throat and I was strapped to the bed. I had no idea how I got there. I was freaking out. I was like, what the hell happened? My grandma okay? Um, I was passed out. My grandma couldn't wake me up. I was in my underwear on the floor. Um, hypothermia was setting in and my blood alcohol content on that trip was a 046 that's after I was laying on the ground for however long and they got me to the, they actually Narcan to me on that one uh, because they thought that I had overdosed on drugs. And that was because one of the uh, meds that I was somehow still taking um, on the quick test, it, it flags as uh, opiates. So they thought that it was drugs. So they Narcan me. Uh, Still, check myself out, AMA, just to get back and drink again. So, um, laying on the couch uh, one night trying to detox, and uh, I woke up after sleeping for a while, and I felt pretty decent. I stood up and fell right in my face, and I was like, oh, man, this is weird. What the hell is going on? I, I don't I haven't drank in a while. So, I got up, took a step, fell down again. Um Ended up falling into the kitchen table and chairs on the next attempt. I couldn't walk. Didn't know what was going on. I But I knew I didn't feel right. After I woke up and I felt okay, but something wasn't right. So I Spider-Man crawled my way up the stairs and crawled up into my bed. And I can't really tell you if I was terrified or I didn't care or if it was back and forth. Something wasn't right. I couldn't walk. I just felt dead inside and physically like dead and i asked my grandma to stay up stairs with me she shouldn't be going up and down the stairs but she came up to check on me and i asked her to stay and then after a while you know she had to go back downstairs she was tired and uh, i woke up the next morning to the emts coming again because she couldn't couldn't wake me up uh turns out my kidneys were shutting down and my potassium level was like non-existent uh blood pressure uh was like 80 over 60 or 80 over 50 or something like that. My blood pressure was super low. My kidneys were shutting down, um, and that's why I couldn't walk. But still, took me to the hospital. They, they got me some help. I checked myself out as soon as I was feeling better, as soon as they said that things were getting back to normal. Uh, there's pictures uh, that I've posted of me. I mean, my blue eyes are like, uh, they were like a, a super light blue. Like, there was no life behind them if you see these pictures. And if I get better at my podcast, I should be able to bring up pictures and show you, but I'm not prepared. Um, so I had a stack of hospital um, reports, paperwork that I took to treatment. I went back after 30 days. I went back to Harbor Hall for round two for my third treatment. And I took a stack of paperwork with me that thick from 30 days. Um, this time I met business. So I had 60 days. Yeah, I ended up staying at Harbor Hall this time for 158 days. Um, Fridays at Harbor Hall. Uh, this time I, you know, I, I made friends and acquaintances, but it wasn't like before. I was, I had learned that um, you need to figure yourself out. And yeah, you, it's nice to help people, but that's after you get some time under your belt. So this time, I filled up two journals. I, I was going all in. Uh, when 
when they would do Friday meetings, you know, who's, who, who's showing the most dedication or determination or whatever. It was always me. And like every Friday to the point that one time, one guy uh, on a Friday was like, can we just put Scott's name up on the board for everything? Cause we know that's what everybody's going to say anyway. And he wasn't being a dick. It's just, I was always writing in my journal. I was always doing all the work. Um, and, and things were going good. I went to the transitional living in those 158 days. And I was living there. And, you know, they, they told me that your 90 days over there is going to go by quick. So you need to make arrangements quickly. And goddamn, they were right. Um, before I knew it, you know, uh, trying to find housing. Uh, I was first on the list in a couple places. They fell through. Then I was apparently on a list for three other places uh, to stay up there. You know, my sponsor had told me... You know, I needed to stay away from all this down here for my grandma, the stress of my grandma, my kids, um, my ex-fiance. I needed to start a new life. And that's that was my plan when I went back up there. I'm just going to give in and do whatever my sponsor tells me to do. So I find myself, it's uh, coming up to the end date. And, um, you know, I got this really weird text when I got there the second time, right as I was walking in the doors for my ex-fiance. And she said a lot of things, and I and I understood everything that she said up to one point. That she had heard that I was doing disgusting things. And I didn't know what that meant. I thought maybe um, uh, one story in that month that I had off, I wore a T-shirt as pants over to the gas station across the street from the house. And... Just so you know, when you put your legs through the armholes of a shirt, uh, the shirt doesn't stay up. You have to hold it up. So when you go to grab something while you're in the gas station and you don't hold on to your shirt, your pants go down. Did I have boxers on? I have no idea. But I know that I was politely asked to leave and not come back. Uh, So I thought maybe she was talking about that. She maybe heard about that. But what, what turns out to happen is when you have a sponsor... You're supposed to be able to tell that sponsor anything and everything. And she was referring to something that my sponsor had told her. My ex-fiance was. And uh, I haven't been able to talk to the guy. Um, after I, she had told me that he had, had said that I was offering sexual favors to women for alcohol. And I questioned him about it um, for one reason or another. We haven't been able to sit down and talk so I could ask him because I looked at my phone um, when I, when I got my phone back to move into transitional living and I didn't see anything like that. So I'm not saying it didn't happen. And I told, I told uh, my fiance this, I'm like, I'm not saying it didn't happen because I was so fucking drunk. I don't know what the hell I did, but there's no evidence to show that I did or didn't long and short of it is even if I did, even if I did do that and my sponsor knew it, it is not his place to tell anybody. So when you're an alcoholic and early recovered like me, you need an excuse to drink. That's a fucking good excuse. So my housing fell through. Um, Harbor Hall, uh, I had relapsed in Harbor Hall when I went to visit uh, on a weekend. Felt like everybody was mad at me, but nobody's mad at you. You're making shit up in your head so you can drink. So I found myself all of a sudden my sponsor had betrayed me. Uh, I had relapsed. I thought everybody at the hall hated me. And I was homeless. I spent the first night sleeping in the back of my truck. Like, eh, it's going to be fine. Totally going to do this. I had a job. The second day, um, middle of the day, I was so drunk um, that somebody called a wellness check because I was passed out in the front seat of my truck. And I got my fourth OWI in Petoskey, Michigan. So four OWIs, after all the work, I'd spent 158 days uh, the second time in Harbor Hall, 218 days in Harbor Hall in the year uh, 2022, all down the fucking drain, job down the drain, everything. So to jail I go, my boss bails me out, decides to represent me. I was working at a treatment center not far from Harbor Hall, and now all of a sudden I went from working in this treatment center to now I'm a client. But I knew that you had to do things that made you uncomfortable in order to do it. So I chose to, to definitely do that. 
And so guys were coming up and asking me questions. Like I was a tech there and I was like, dude, I'm a client now. I relapse. Oh my God. So what I did in this treatment, it was not the treatment and I'm not talking shit about it, but it can't, that place can't hold a candle to Harbor Hall. So I had all my Harbor Hall journals, the, the groups, I, I joined the group that I didn't want to be a part of. That was the faith-based group. I was only heathen in there. Everybody else was uh, Bible people. And uh, so what that forced me to do is to apply everything that I'd learned at Harbor Hall. The journals, everything that I'd learned, it forced me. I didn't make friends. There was one person that I'd consider a friend um, that was a client in there. And his name is Dennis. And Dennis, if you're watching this, our friendship there meant the world to me. The, Dennis was a devout Catholic. Uh, me, I mean, I don't know if I've ever explained these, but heathenry symbols on my chest. Uh, Dennis and I could have open conversations, discussions about my newly found spirituality and his faith. And they were great conversations. And I, can, I can't say uh, enough how much I appreciate him. And, uh, so what happened in that I applied everything I'd learned through AA, my sponsor and Harbor hall. And I found my spirituality. I found my my higher power. Finally, I'd worked so hard at Harbor hall and nothing clicked. And then finally, all of a sudden I started reading about Odin and I started reading the poetic Edda and things that Odin says. And it was just like, man, and I, I'm running out of time here, but, I sat in a room, complete darkness, and crying my eyes out, begging for a sign. And I got a sign. I I have runes. Um, I've learned how to read the runes. And I asked the gods for a sign. And I took the runes and I threw them down on my cloth. And my plan was I'm going to take each letter that pops up and I'm going to assign it the English equivalent. Uh, there's only 24 letters in the runic alphabet. Um but long story short, I took each one and I wrote down the letters that are equivalent and I made words until they were all used. And what the ruin spelled out was facing him, Jesus. There's not two S's in the runic alphabet. Okay. And it's Elder Futhark alphabet. But there was a Z. So J-E-Z-U-S, Jesus. Phonetically, it sounds right. So I'm like, man, facing him, Jesus, what the heck? So I went and I found Dennis. And I was like, hey, man, I didn't tell him about the runes or that I'd cast runes or anything. I'm like, does facing him, Jesus, mean anything to you? And without skipping a beat, the dude's like, oh, yeah, that's facing him, Jesus. Um, it's something that we do, you know, uh, once or uh, once a week. Or, I don't even remember exactly what he said, because once he said, yeah, and he acknowledged that he knew, I was like, my mind went, Pum. like, holy shit, this was the sign from the runes, from the gods that I needed. They were, they're, they're giving me something tangible that I can finally see. And so he explains what it is. You know, it's called facing him or facing Jesus. And there's something about a window or whatever. And the hair is standing up in my arms too. But I told him, I'm like, I, I told him exactly what happened. I was crying. I was desperate, alone in the dark. I cast the runes and they spelled that out. And he's like, he showed me his arm. And he's like, I mean, the look on his face, I'll never forget it. He's like, that is incredible. So that was my spiritual awakening. And that's, you know, when they, if you're in addiction and you go to AA or any of these groups and you, you have to find something um, that changes you, that changed me. And that's the moment when hard changes really started to happen. Um, 32 days there. So in 2022, I spent 250 days in treatment. Um, 250 days of treatment. And I'm at day 167 in my sobriety now. Um, I had four months of sobriety. Came home for a visit with the intention of drinking. And I did so. I got really fucked up. Came back. Didn't get kicked out. And got my fourth OWI. So, as I've mentioned before, I'm a felon. Uh, because of my four OWIs, um, Spent 45 days in jail recently. Um, 
you know, I have no job. It's going to be super hard getting a job. Uh, in jail, they didn't let me have any of my meds. Uh, done some research, and that can be really bad to stop some of the meds that I was on. So I was not in a very good place there for a while getting out of jail. I've been back on my meds uh, for almost a full week now. Um, just the anxiety meds alone has, has really helped. Um, but yeah, no job, no money, you know, I'm living at my great grandmother's house again, I'm 41 years old. I, uh, you know, uh, last birthday, I turned 41 in jail. I turned 40 all by myself, drunk, sitting in this very room where I'm doing this podcast. Um, and with all that said, you know, my kids just started talking to me again, um, over the past few days. Um, the woman that I love with all my heart is talking to me. I just got to spend some time with her. Uh, and I loved every second of it. But what I did, I could have been, I could have been, I could have been there with her again. Tomorrow. But I did something that I've, I'd never thought that I would do. I I was open and honest with her about some anxiety and some things that were bothering me. Not to do with her. They were all internal. They were all me. And so I decided to come back to Grandma's. I journaled. And I'm doing this podcast. Because it helps me. Because if I can't help myself... I'm no good to anybody. So I gave up time with my best friend. Because it's got to be, it's got to be about recovery and doing things to make myself uh, stronger. And you can't, can't just do whatever you want. That's what got me into trouble in the first place. Man, my, my kids are talking to me, man. Not even six months in. So, I mean, if you've made it this entire fucking hour listening to this, I'm not even six months in, and I've uh, I got four OWIs. I've I've lied and shit on the people that I love the most in this life. And slowly but surely, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, things are. I feel closer to my good friends. The weight of not having to lie <laughs> and hide things is gone, and it's incredible. I know this has been a long podcast. I watched a guy die in treatment. We were at this uh, this camp. And uh, we did like uh, team building exercises. And he was my partner in his 50s. Spent half his life in prison or jail. Super nice dude. And I'll never forget the smile on his face. Him and I were partnered up. And I just remember him laughing. And then like an hour later, he was climbing up this rope and wood structure. And you get up to the top and you ring the bell and you're, fall into the safety net and then you're like, Ooh, and you get up and you climb back down. Well, he rang the bell and he fell into the net and never got back up again. He never got to show his family and his kids and
You never got to show them that smile. I don't, I don't want that. I'm happy that the dude died sober, but, uh, I want to die around a bunch of strange dudes. I want to die sober where my family and loved ones can remember a smile. I can see it, that sober smile, enjoy it. There's a tech that worked at uh, the treatment center. I don't say which one. Just a week ago, I found out that he passed away, relapsed, all by himself. This guy that I was in treatment with, he actually helped me get a job up north. And he's struggling. Falling back into it, you know, relapsing. It's easy, it's easy to, it's easy to, to go back because that's what you know. I mean, I, half my life was drinking alcohol and dealing with things with alcohol. Big book says easier, softer way. Well, what's easier than not have to feel feelings and not feeling feelings is the easy thing to do. And alcohol can do that in about two seconds. Especially when you drink like I do. But I don't want that anymore, man. It's too much. There's a guy that was in my group. Kind of a douchebag. Uh, I got this type of guy. And, uh, in group, we were pretty honest. Our counselor was pretty honest with him. Like, we don't feel like that you're buying in. Um, we don't feel like that you're giving it your all. And felt like he started to come around toward the end, but then he left. And um, some people owed him some money. And he took drugs as payment. And he did the drugs. And they were not good drugs. Not that any of them are good, but uh, he used and died. Left the wife and two daughters behind. This is this is real deal, man. I've done enough to my family. I don't I don't want to die with a bottle in my hand. So that's why that's why I'm doing this. The bravest thing that you can do is ask for help. So, my email, my phone number is on my Facebook page. If anybody needs help, or if you're somebody that's not an addiction, but you know somebody that is, and you want to ask, um, you want to ask somebody that's that's been there and done that. The opposite of addiction is connection. So whether you're an addict or you're somebody who's been affected by one, connect with somebody. I uh, friended a, basically a stranger today, but I know of him and he knows of me. And the dude gave me his phone number five seconds after I added him on Facebook. There isn't anybody better to talk to than somebody that's that's been through it. And five, five and a half months of recovery isn't shit, but it's the best I've ever had. So anyway, if you made it this long, thank you again. Uh, please, uh, please send your comments and send your questions if you have any. Um, 
fine tune this thing. This is the first real like open talk that I've done uh, about myself. So I know I missed some things. Um, It wasn't as uh, sad as I thought it was going to be because I've went over it in my head plenty of times and I got emotional about things that I didn't see coming. But anyway, thank you for listening. Um, There's a lot of cool stuff to come with this podcast. Just, uh, I just need likes, comments, people to subscribe, follow. That's, I know the uh, algorithm on uh, YouTube has a lot to do with uh, the more that people comment, uh, the more that I'll pop up on other people's feeds. So if you think any of these have been worth the shit, uh, if you like the interviews that I did uh, with the uh, wonderful ladies, um, Go back and like and uh, subscribe and, and comment on those videos. If the comments aren't on something, let me know. I'll try to turn them back on. Um, I got an interview next weekend with a dude. Um, got a couple a couple people lined up. So um, if you're somebody that wants to come on and tell your story, um, also I want to plan a, uh, a podcast with a panel of people. A variety would be cool, people that aren't in addiction that might have questions. Um, Scott at thesoberheathen.com or thesoberheathen at yahoo.com or just hit me up on Facebook and uh, let me know what you if you're interested. And then I'll pick a few people and uh, we can keep spreading the message, man. So thank you very much. Anybody that listened to this whole damn thing, I think it was an hour and five minutes long at least. So thank you. Um, and uh, stay stay connected, folks. Happy uh, Sunday morning, 2.39 a.m. Later.